never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that knows you should always have a bottle of water on you. You never know when you may need it as a weapon. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. Hey, man. What's up? Uh, not much. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Just hanging out. <laughs> um, I feel like I've been super busy this week. Um... But I really just like when I think about it, I like was I super busy or was I just busy with other things like like nerd stuff? Because I had. Um, yeah. And, and when I say nerd stuff, I mean, I run three D&D campaigns. So like I had really cool. <laughs> I had two really great sessions with the two groups of kids I do games for at the park district. And then my adult game I had a really great session the other night. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. Good yeah, stuff. I know. I, oh, keep going. No, just good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know what you mean, though, because it's like, was I busy or was I just keeping myself busy? And it's always best when you're just keeping yourself busy, uh, hopefully doing uh, fun and creative things that you like. Um, I've kind of had a similar week where um, I uh, I kind of started working and I do this all the time is like I abandon a comic book project I'm working on and I start working on something else. But uh one of my issues with uh, self-publishing comics is I always think of these really big grandiose like epic super long stories that I want to do and uh I end up starting them and then just kind of lose losing steam because it's just such a big project you know and I actually just thought of it's kind of out of the blue I thought of a really cool idea for like this short like 10 page story and it's something that I'm gonna do it just so I can finish it and put it out there and then it's something that I could easily continue or I could just leave it at that but it's kind of just a fun project I've given myself something like just short to do probably I mean I mean Drew you've probably felt the same way with like some of your short films where it's like you know you probably have these big grandiose ideas but you got to start I mean nobody starts nobody's first film is like the Lord of the Rings or something like that <laughs> you know what I mean yeah it is I don't know <laughs> speak for yourself man <laughs> um no what's funny about the film medium though is that you don't realize how long a minute is until you have to shoot a minute. And yeah. um, so when you're putting your script together, you're like, wow, this is a huge script. And then you're like knocking out of eat. Like you think to yourself one minute a page and then you're knocking out a page in like 30 seconds. And it's <laughs> like, holy cow, you know? So yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> it's just, it's just different because on text, it might take 20 pages to explain something on screen that takes 30 seconds. So you just don't think about it in the same aspect and you got to find that balance. So I totally hear you. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you got to treat what you got to treat your thing like is. Uh, so the D my adult D&D &D campaign, 
what I did, because I wanted to try and get the group committed to the the game, to the story, to like doing a weekly or bi-weekly session, to keep the campaign, to get the campaign started and to keep it really going is I basically wrote a one-shot with okay. the potential of going farther. So I wrote a one-shot. So if they were just like, ooh, that was a fun game night, and then we never play again, fine. But if they're like, that was fun, we should do that again, I had more to continue on. Right on, yeah. <laughs> like, like, literally, like, we sat down the next session, and I'm like, and here we are, and douche, and I was like, whoa, you had a lot more. Like, yeah, of course I had a lot more. Like, I was ready to go. <laughs> so what you do is you, you, you write your one shot, and that's what you need to do for your comic, and then if you're like, you know, that was really cool, I want to explore that more, you have more in your mind and ready to go. So maybe the grandiose story, you don't necessarily look at it, and that's like, I don't know. Just yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually exactly how I'm uh, how I'm uh, approaching this one. So I'm pretty excited. And I, I've heard uh, I've heard a lot of uh, artists like advise that, like, if you want to get into comics, it's actually really good to start with like a eight to ten page story, like something just super short just to like show like, OK, I've accomplished something. And then you can move on to your big, grandiose, uh, you know, epic tale that you want to tell. But like. Yeah, I'm, I'm approaching it exactly like what you said. Like, it's a short, small snippet of something. If I get bored with it after this, I'll just kind of leave it at that. But at least it'll be out there. But it's also something that uh, can uh, I could build on and make some big, grandiose, epic story out of as well. So uh, super fun. But um, yeah, I don't know. Should I jump into my watching and reading or? Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, cool. Talk about writing all night if you want. I mean, I'm yeah. Yeah. Not... <laughs> um that would be a fun that would be a fun podcast to do at some point um but yeah so uh okay so one thing you mentioned last week which uh i think is kind of funny is you talked about how pretty soon we're gonna be on just tv show overload and we're we're not gonna have like any free time to do anything because we've got like yeah. she hulk coming out this week we've Sweet. got that yeah, i'm gonna interrupt you real quick just yeah go for it, it. And say we are recording this the day it's uh, August 17th. So it's the day before the She-Hulk mm -hmm. premiere on Disney Plus. So um, we are recording a day early. Otherwise, we would have had our She-Hulk review for you. But that's kind of cool because next week we'll give you a She-Hulk review and a House of the Dragon review. Yep. So <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going there because I was going to say we've got She-Hulk she and House of the Dragon coming out this week. And then we've got... Lord of the Rings shortly after that, as well as like we're going to start hitting holiday shows like we have uh, Willow coming out soon. And there's just going to be so much going on and not necessarily on purpose, but I kind of haven't watched or read a lot this week, which is kind of cool because I feel like it's my own little calm before that storm that's <laughs> coming on. Uh, the one thing that I have been reading and speaking of like page to screen transitions is uh, I actually started reading uh, it like Stephen King's it like the actual novel. Um, and I'm a uh, I've, I've mentioned it on the show, but I try to uh, frequent little free libraries around town as much as I can. Like I walk my dog a ton and I'm always peeking in the little free libraries that I see. And uh, recently I actually found a copy of it in one of those. And I was like, awesome, something I actually want to read. <laughs> so I, I picked that up and uh, I started reading that and uh, I'm liking it a lot. Um, I'm kind of confused because 
so this is kind of weird, but I've heard from multiple sources that the very beginning, like the first sort of kill scene in um, the it movie, as well as the book, as well as the uh, the original TV miniseries, like in every iteration, it starts off with that kill scene where, uh, you know, Georgie's running down the street in the rain and he has that his little paper um, boat that is riding through the puddles and it goes in the sewer. And then Georgie talks to Pennywise the clown in the sewer and it ends up becoming this big, gruesome, frightening kill scene. Right. And uh, ever since I, fu- I, f- I watched the first uh, it movie or miniseries, whatever you want to call it. Ever since the first time I watched that at a friend's house when I was in grade school, my friend had actually uh, read the book and he said, oh man, the way Stephen King describes this part in the book is just so messed up. And then that's like something that I've heard from multiple other people. Like I know people who stopped reading the book because of the part when Georgie dies, because it's supposedly too graphic. <laughs> and what I'm confused about is I read it and I didn't think it was that bad at all. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm desensitized or what it is, but I was like, seriously, the when I was reading through the first couple of chapters, I was expecting that part to be like, I thought it was going to be like this multi-page long, super demented, like super gory, like going into every little detail And it comes and it's there are like some gory details, but it's kind of like just a paragraph and then it was over. And I think it was just like this is something I I had been building up my my whole life that this is like the most terrifying thing to read. (laughs) And then I read it and I was like, okay, that wasn't so bad. (laughs) No big deal. You you built yourself uh, up, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'm really not too far into the book, but um. The other thing I think is funny is I am noticing how people say, because I haven't really read a Stephen King book before. I've kind of enjoyed a lot of his movies, never read one of his books. And uh, I'm seeing how people say that Stephen King is just ultra uh, descriptive and long winded because there's another scene at the beginning of. So if you've seen it, chapter two, like the first sort of kill scene in that movie is a scene that takes about three to five minutes like on screen but when you read it in the book it's like 10 chapters (laughs) and albeit they're short chapters like each chapter is only like a couple pages but it still takes like 10 chapters to get through this like first uh kill scene from it chapter two and i just thought that was like really funny but uh i am enjoying it uh quite a bit so far so yeah that's the weird part about like it's not a criticism to the Stephen King, but it's just a weird part in my head because, like, he'll take a hundred pages to explain something that could probably be edited down to 20. And I know there's some Stephen King fan out there going, but that's the beauty of Stephen King. And I'm like, I get it. And I agree because the writing is gorgeous. But there's parts where, like, when I was reading The Stand, I was like, OK, can we like I felt like <laughs> there was moments I'm like, can we get there already? So, um, and yeah, I, I mentioned, I mentioned that opinion to other people and they said, yes, the writing's amazing, but I agree with you kind of moments. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the challenge with really, uh, writing just like prose in general is sometimes it has to be fast paced and sometimes you want to take your time and like linger in the moment. And, uh, maybe Stephen King just lingers in the moment too long sometimes, but, uh, so far for this being the first Stephen King thing I've actually read, I have been enjoying it. And uh, it's one of those things where I've heard like little rumblings about like how the in the book it a lot of the lore is a lot more flushed out as far as like 
what it actually is. And there's a lot of weird, like, cosmic undertones to it all. And that's really what really attracted me, because I'm like, I got to figure out what some of this weird space stuff is that goes on in there, if that makes sense. So Yeah. Um, but well, that's about it for me. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I didn't watch a lot, um, because one, I was busy running D and D stuff. And two, um, I, I've, I've talked about my favorite author, Matthew Riley. Um, he releases all of his books overseas first. So it takes forever for them to release in the States. It's kind of like he'll release a book in Australia and then a year later it releases in the States. It, it drives me nuts, um, but I know I'm not getting any spoilers because, you know, I tell people about him as an author. and A lot of people don't jump on like, you know, but I don't know many people that read books anymore. If, you say, if I say that out loud. <laughs> um, but no, his uh, most recent book, uh, the um, One Impossible Labyrinth, that's what it's titled, um, released finally in the United States. I picked it up, kind of devoured it really fast. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's also the end of a series. Um, it's a seven book cycle. Um, it's the end of the series. Um, it's really, really cool. And when I say end, it's not like one of those things where you're like, oh, he'll probably do another one in a couple of years. No, the way he closes it is very, this is the end of this story. So that's um, good though. Certain yeah. it, that's good sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's very like, this is where all the characters are meant to be. This is where I always wanted the characters to be. And this is where it's kind of like fate and destiny kind of stuff. Here we are. This is the end. Um, and sometimes it's good to have an ending to a story. So, that's cool. I look forward yeah, to first, I look forward to whatever his next book is, but it was a fun ride. So that's basically for me because I was reading that. Um, and I've been reading a lot of D&D lore because I have so much I'm working on in terms of that realm right now. Um, nice. Otherwise, uh, you and I both watched a trailer that dropped today. Yeah, we did. Um, Wednesday <laughs> trailer. Um, so Tim Burton's adaptation of The Addams Family in a television series called Wednesday, focusing primarily on Wednesday Addams. Um, your reaction to the trailer. Let me hear your thoughts before I rant a little bit. So I saw a friend share this in a uh, Discord group that I'm part of. Okay. And uh, they shared the trailer and then they shared a, uh, after the trailer, they did like a copy paste sort of like description of what the show is. And then they put like a shrug emoji, like, I don't know how to feel about this. So I was like, okay, interesting. So I clicked on the trailer and I watched it and I actually think this looks pretty good. Like I um, right away, I thought like, OK, we have Wednesday Adams and uh, the rest of the Adams family. Like they all look pretty spot on as far as like how they should look, in my opinion. And uh, when you get to that first um, that like piranha scene in the trailer, I just <laughs> yeah. as soon as that scene hit, like I had a smile on my face because I was like, it, it just felt so perfect. Like, I was like, okay, this is what Wednesday Adams would do. This feels like it's a scene out of the old uh, Adams Family movies. But also, like, I don't know. It's just that, that whole vibe just brought a smile to my face. And then moving on to the Adams Family, um, you know, bringing Wednesday to this, like, Nevermore Academy. I said this on the show when we first talked about the premise of the Wednesday show. But, like, I think... I mean, Nevermore is kind of what I was thinking it was going to be. It looks like it's kind of like a spooky Hogwarts situation, which I think is yeah. going to be really fun. Like this show to me looks like it's going to be kind of like Harry Potter meets Riverdale almost, but it's Adam's family. So it has that spooky sure. edge. So 
personally, I think this looks, I'm actually really excited about this one. I've seen some people are uh, complaining about the casting in the show and stuff. Um, you have Louis Guzman. Um, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, yeah. but he's playing Gomez Adams. And uh, people, I guess, don't like him playing that character because he doesn't look like the you know, previous movie and TV show versions of Gomez. But if you actually go back to the original uh, Adams Family comics, um, he actually looks pretty spot on um, as far as like how Gozman or Gomez is, spo- is supposed to look. And the other thing is like Louis Guzman, he is such a funny uh, character actor. Like he's everything I've seen him in. I love and like he's played a lot of memorable memorable characters and uh i'm never gonna complain about a movie or show that that guy's in like he really tickles my funny bone so yeah i have so far i don't really have anything but positive things to say about this one you know so ultimately i agree with you the trailer looks really good it looks great i'm on board i'm in yeah fantastic the thing that has me cringe a little bit is I do remember that uh, Tim Burton did uh, the movie of What We Do in the Shadows, which was not good. <laughs> See, and I've never watched that one. And, and that's where I was like, well, I've seen Tim Burton do something like this before, and it was not a stellar uh, interesting uh, adaptation. So. I'm I, I'm very hopeful because it looks good and it and it definitely hits on the cylinders you want it to. Um, my issue with the casting is one, uh, Louise Guzman definitely threw me off when I saw that in the casting. I think <laughs> right. I think he's a fantastic actor. Okay, it just threw me off. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing: as far as I'm concerned, like yes, I I've seen the original television show back in the day, but for me, Gomez. Raul Julia is just that guy like he nailed Gomez in a way that I don't know if ever is going to be like if, if they like that's a bar that's like really hard to reach in my book. Yeah, I would so agree with that. He definitely has um, some like uh, trust to gain in terms of that character. But I really like him as an actor. The casting that I'm really confused about is Morticia Adams is Catherine Zeta-Jones. Right. I just don't get that. That's all. Like, I just don't <laughs> see it. I can't I can't wrap my head around it at all. And I understand that, like, I haven't seen any footage of her yet. And I might we might turn around and say, oh, no, she's great. And that might end up be what's ha- what happens. But right now, I just can't see it. So when I saw the cast announcement, I was like, OK, the kids look fine. And I don't think Pugsley's fat enough to be completely honest but that's me um but when i look at the casting i was like all right the kids look fine and then i'm like wait is that Catherine zeta jones <laughs> and i'm like it is okay i mean i guess so like i said i, I just can't see it right now and that's right interesting now. So. so i to me like um i think one of the weird parts about Catherine zeta jones being in this is i feel like i haven't seen her in a movie like for a long time and maybe i've just missed some of her performances, but I haven't seen her in the spotlight for such a long time. So it did feel really random, but as far as like, I don't know, I feel like for fan casting, like, I don't think, I don't know. I feel like if I heard somebody say like, I'd like to see Catherine Zeta Jones play uh, Morticia Adams, I don't think I would really bat an eye at at that. I think 
I don't know. For me, I, I, I think I can see it, but, um, you know, maybe she's going to really have to work to bring out the, uh, creepiness of that character, but, uh, yeah, we'll just see how it goes. Yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it plays out and we'll definitely be here to give you reports. And like I said, I'm not a horribly opposed to the idea. I just don't see it right now. And that's really my issue. So I the, have a the, feeling that'll change, but hey. The one important thing I can say is Thing does look really cool. <laughs> like yeah. I like how they made Thing look like a severed hand with like stitches and stuff like that. I thought that was yeah, kind yeah. of a cool twist. <laughs> so yeah, agreed. <laughs> Um, well, that kind of ends watching and reading pretty darn quick, um, since we didn't really watch anything this week. Yeah. <laughs> this megaton of TV to talk about. So, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the news. Um, let's save the DC stuff for the end, because this ongoing thing of working <laughs> the plan for the DCEU, Warner Brothers, Discovery Plus, all that stuff. That's going to kind of be a topic for a little while, I think, as we learn yeah. it. Um, and because we're still so fresh, this has been some stuff that hits. Um, and I have a feeling what's going to happen is with the DC stuff is there's going to be some little nuggets that are going to drop right now. So we're going to have a lot to discuss. And then it's going to go quiet for a little while as they work towards this plan so they can announce what's happening. And I'm willing to bet you anything, they're going to get their ducks in a row so they can show up next year at San Diego and say, here's the plan. Or they're going to show up at DC Fandom and say, here's the plan. Um, that's, yeah. my, that's my guess. So let's talk about the little things first. Um, uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, is going to premiere with two first episodes right, uh, right off the bat. Um, so I thought that was cool that we're getting two episodes right away, which is a great because it's a nice hook for us trying to get back into the uh, realm of Middle Earth. Um, it made me think about what we could get for House of the Dragon. Um, if you remember, uh, Game of Thrones was um, HBO proper before HBO Max existed. So that was a single episode premiere. Here you go. <laughs> HBO Max does stuff a little differently where they give you three episodes right away and then you're waiting a week then you're waiting week by week by week so there's a chance on the 21st we're gonna have three episodes to watch that's oh, man that's crazy <laughs> so that's um, that's awesome but then it's also like uh, i'm just thinking like i hope i can fit them all in before we record not only that but you're going to get three episodes at once and then you're going to be stuck waiting for one and then waiting for one and then waiting for one. That's the only yeah. problem I have with the HBO model. The HBO Max model is that they have they give me the three, which gets me super excited. And then I got to wait a week for a single episode, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But Rings of Power is going to have two at the premiere. Great news. Uh, speaking of Lord of the Rings, you can now get Lord of the Rings keyboards. OK. So if you know if you know your elvish and your dwarvish really well, you can get elvish, elven and or dwarven uh, keyboards for your computer. Um, I, I think that's cool. I think there's I think like a. Or, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Man. I just I just think there's a Lord of the Rings sort of um, aesthetic as far as their uh, typography and stuff. So I, it's a cool idea. Um, yeah. I won't be getting one, but I think it's pretty awesome that it's out there, I guess. <laughs> I think it's a cool idea. I just would like it when you plug it in, if it automatically types, like when you type words, it shows up as Elvish, or is that a font you have to get for your computer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good call. <laughs> um, okay, 
The Simpsons. This is cool, and I really want to know. Like, there's. I don't know if this is the actual name of the episode, or if this is in quotes. There's going to be a because the in quotes in this says it's it's um Simpsons. How about this? Simpsons showrunner um Matt Selman shared a few details about the upcoming season, including one quote unquote crazy conceptual episode. Um, I don't know if that means the episode's titled Crazy Conceptual Episode or he's just <laughs> air quoting. Um, ultimately, the, this crazy conceptual episode will finally reveal, will be a whole episode about how the show predicts the future. Oh, that's great. Be- because of all the Simpsons episodes predicting stuff. That sounds like the greatest episode of television ever. <laughs> no, um, it's awesome. And I honestly can't wait to watch it. That just sounds fantastic. Well, so um, go ahead. I, I just think for a long time, The Simpsons has been known for not only predicting the future, but also just doing everything first. Like there's a whole South Park episode about how any idea you can have to, uh, you know, to make a movie or a show or, you know, anything like that. The Simpsons has already done it and they've just they've literally done everything first. And I just think that's hilarious. And I think for the last I don't know, decade or so. Like, I feel like Simpsons hasn't been pushing the bar in that way. But I think stuff like this is really exciting to hear that. uh, I don't know. The Simpsons are still doing noteworthy stuff uh, in that regard. So I just I love the concept and I'm really curious to see what their explanation is, you know. (laughs) Right. I hear you. Um, All right. Well, here's a sentence I never thought I would say. Um, Walmart is looking into getting the streaming service game. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't really know what this means. And it sounds like they just want to get into the streaming service world. So they could be. Does that mean they're going to partner with Netflix or Disney Plus or something like that? Or they're going to try and launch their own thing? I really don't know. But it, the article was vague enough that you're just like, OK, well, I read three paragraphs of stuff I already know. And like one sentence that really gets me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So um Whoever the the writers of the article didn't know much more either, but I just thought it was interesting that okay we could be getting a Walmart streamer. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. um, if they produce ca- good content, I'm not opposed to it. But it's also like Walmart isn't necessarily the most like prestigious name, I guess. <laughs> so like I think they've like I don't know they can either like lean into their brand and kind of be like, like um, I don't know if they I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to say anything too disparaging, but right, and you're also like, like you you also don't know how to say it either. That's the other problem. Well, it's one of those things like if they want to um, do a lot of um, sort of like trashy reality shows that people kind of would associate with the Walmart name, at least people on the internet, like they could go that route. But they could also just surprise us and produce some amazing content. And uh, I think either way, there's an audience to be found. But I think I guess what I'm trying to say is like go for it Walmart, but also produce good stuff that people want to watch, no matter what kind of format you want to go with, just make stuff people want to watch. Because otherwise, if this is a failure, it is going to produce the best memes and it's going to be one of the funniest fail- failures we've ever seen. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's my uh, cynical uh, internet mind, uh, mind's reaction to it, I guess. I hear you. All right. Um, are you a bourbon guy? Yeah, actually. Okay. I'm I'm a bourbon guy. If anyone knows me, I that's my drink of choice. Um, 
anyone who knows me really well knows that I've become very, very snobbish in terms of my bourbon. And yeah. I'm going to briefly explain so, why. So, so I, I, do, I do like a good glass of bourbon. I'm not as much of a bourbon guy as you are. So, um, so but yeah, I do like bourbon. The reason I became snobbish about it is I went down to Kentucky and actually went on a couple bourbon tours and, you know, visited some breweries and or some distilleries and, um, you know, did some tasting and stuff like that. And then you buy a bottle here and there. And then someone tells you, oh, you should try this. It's really good. You should try that. It's really good. And then I go to a party and I'm handed a drink. Oh, you like this stuff here. And they hand me something to drink. And I'm like, what in the world am I drinking? It wasn't good. I'm like, what is this? And then I started looking and I realized that I had been drinking top shelf only. Yeah. (laughs) So I realized that my taste was like heightened, like way so early that like all like the lower shelf stuff is not like I'm just I don't like it. So it made me kind of laugh a little bit that that happened. Um, And it's made me snobbish in the sense that I'll go hunting for rare. I'm not I'm not crazy with it, but I go hunting for rare to hard to find stuff, which I've been trying to get my hands on a few different brands and that kind of thing that are hard to get right now. Nice. (laughs) Uh, Like the popular a couple popular ones. Um, So I have a decent collection in my house. Um, This popped up. The reason I'm bringing this up is because there's a bourbon about to release uh, for a 15th anniversary, and um, I really want to get a bottle, honestly, to one, to try it, but two, to have the bottle in the house just to say I have the bottle, and that is there is an Assassin's Creed bourbon coming. Crazy. Nice. Or a bourbon, or a bourbon whiskey. Um, the, the article says whiskey, but if you zoom in on the bottle, it says bourbon whiskey, and if you don't know, all bourbons are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbons, and to not go into a like half an hour explanation on that, just Google it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that comes out um, uh, in August. So sometime this month. Oh no 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 sorry. Um, the special edition, the special edition straight bourbon in August with a special rum and vodka coming later in September. So I'm gonna kind of keep my eye out for that, uh, just because I want to try it and it sounds cool. So. That's great. Do you, did they say, um, or does this bourbon have a name? Do you know, or, um, it is just Assassin's Creed, uh, step into history, straight bourbon whiskey. Okay. Fair enough. I just Uh, didn't know if they had a super clever name, but but the logo looks really cool. So it's for Assassin's Creed's 15th 15th anniversary and Mm -hmm. it's got a really cool, like, it's like a black label with like a gold version of one of the, I don't know if it's Ezio or like which specific assassin it is, but then like, it's got the cool assassins like that. A yeah. Knife looking logo that they use for Assassin's Creed. And it's got this 15 embedded in the logo. So like, it just looks really cool. Uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. Um, it's funny. Cause you said 15th anniversary and I was like, okay, what was 15 years ago? And I was like racking my brain trying to figure out what it was. I was like, is this going to be like a dark night themed bourbon or what are we doing here? But uh, no, sounds uh, really fun and stuff. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, okay. Massive breakthrough in nuclear fission. Um, science story. Nice. Science story. Scientists at the Lawrence Liver- Livermore National Laboratory <laughs> National Ignition Facility has successfully achieved ignition, meaning the reaction has become self-sustaining. Crazy. So they just reached self 
ignition, which is they, they have a nuclear reaction that is self-sustaining. If they can figure out how to harness the energy and they'll be able to turn it into electricity, it would be the cleanest form of fuel known to man. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is mind-blowing. And it's probably going to cost a fortune. But that's mind-blowing. <laughs> Well, uh, if it's, it's if it's self-sustaining, it might pay for itself in the long run. Maybe I don't know. I would, you know, I'd like to think everything <laughs> pays for itself in the long run, but <laughs> especially that Walmart streaming service. Yep. Um, yep. I don't know. I just thought it was awesome because there's so many movies about doing nuclear fusion and cold fusion and nuclear fission and like trying to find like the the energy and stuff and like it, it makes me think of uh, the movie The Saint where the girl figured it out and then she became yeah. like target of like all the crazy spy espionage stuff. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's awesome. This is a science story that I think um, it's always nice when you hear an uplifting, like hopeful science story, as opposed to the, um, a lot of the uh, dystopian ones we <laughs> talk about on the show. So I like what I hear, but I'm curious uh, how this is going to play out over time. Well, that could lead to a dystopian one. You never know. Um, yeah, that's true. All right, let's talk about the DC stuff real quick. Cause, all right. Oh, all right. So, um, Batgirl. Um, Warner Brothers is re- reportedly wants to keep Leslie Grace as Batgirl for future movies. Um, okay. And trying and they're trying to mend. Um, they're trying to mend the breach. Basically, they're basically in talks and trying to work things out. There is a Batgirl actor who's. Uh, right now remaining anonymous that is calling them cowards for not releasing the movie and kind of slandering them for going, I can't believe you're doing this to us kind of thing. Um, I don't know who it is. It's literally staying anonymous right now. Um, But it's nice to know they're trying to smooth things over with her to try and keep her as Batgirl. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, Uh, I think it's um, in one way, it's a good sign because it's showing that they don't think that she was a bad actor or she ruined the project. Um, I I don't know. This is I feel like we heard about this movie being canceled and we don't. I was talking about this last week, but we don't know all the reasons why. Like, we just know it was canceled. So does it mean the movie was bad? I don't know. Does it mean that the movie just doesn't fit into the current plan for the D.C.? cinematic universe like is this i don't know are they trying to connect everything and this movie right. just didn't make the cut you know we don't really know what's going on but i think that's a good sign that um they're basically not placing any blame on her which i think is a good thing because i think online a lot of people attack different actors and stuff in roles when i i think people attack the actors that they see on screen a lot of times who have no necessarily uh, creative control over the product that's coming out besides their right. own performance, you know? And so I think this is a good move because maybe that will um, kind of curb a lot of that negative attention before it happens, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I agree. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, I did see this online that made me laugh. The bad girl holds the world record for longer, longest director's cut. As it features over ninety, <laughs> as it features over ninety minutes of deleted scenes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, so yeah, release the Batgirl cut. Um, in the realm of DC trying to make us a ten-year plan, um, it's been reported that the bat, the Batman two, the next Robert Pattinson film, has not yet been greenlit. Okay. 
So when they're saying that they want the Matt Reeves trilogy, it has not yet been greenlit. Um, it isn't guaranteed, according to Variety, the upcoming sequel, the Robert Pattinson's first Batman movie, has not been greenlit by the studios, Discovery, uh, and, and they feel it's years away from development. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say about that, because I thought the movie was fantastic, and I wanted to see more from Matt Reeves' vision. Um, I have no problem... I have no problem with multiple Batmans, but I understand the concern that you're going to confuse the audience if you have too many Batmans running around. Yeah. Um, so I get it. And, you know, because they were doing that Earth 2 thing, because I think, you know, when you when they were very clear to say this is Earth 2 Batman, I went down with that because, you know, hearing that they were trying to build to a crisis event makes that all make sense. Um, but you got to, like, teach the multiverse and not that Marvel's doing a better job because they're throwing around the word multiverse a lot. Um, you know, and people I think are starting to grasp it, but I still don't think the average person grasps it the way I think. People yeah. Do, so. <laughs> Who knows? Um, okay. Um, the flash. Okay. Ezra Miller <laughs> is making apologies all over the place for behave the behavior and the crazy stuff and seeking mental treatment and health and all that nonsense. This, however, um, is coming at the same time as some reportedly some reported details about the Flash film. Um, Warner Brothers is considering three different options for the Flash film, and I'm kind of leaning towards one specifically. Okay. Um, one, Ezra Miller gives an interview explaining erratic behavior and does and does limited press. Okay, that way they can still promote the movie. And um, he apolog he apologizes, explains some stuff, and stays away from the press for the most part. So he doesn't make DC and Warner Brothers look bad. Two, Ezra Miller plays no part in the film's promotion, and the role gets recast. So in my head, does that mean? Flash gets completely recast and they have to hundred percent and they have to reshoot all, everything or B is it just, he plays no role in the promotion. The role gets recast and moving forward, we'll have a new flash. That'll be that flash. Option three, the film gets completely scrapped. What do you think? So, this is such a tough subject. Everything uh -huh. I've heard, everything I've heard from people who have supposedly seen the film is that it's actually supposedly really good. And we've been talking about this for a while. And I said on the show, like when Ezra Miller's shenanigans kind of started, like, I hope he doesn't cause too much of a ruckus and ruin this movie for everyone. And I really feel like he's on that track because Yes, he can apologize, but some of we haven't really even gone into detail on the podcast of all the stuff that he's done, um, allegedly or not. Trying to stay away from it and talk yeah. about fun stuff. <laughs> That's why Absol I haven't brought it up. Absolutely. But it's like some of these things are like not really even that forgivable. Like some of these things, I feel like you need to get law enforcement involved and stuff. I'm most honestly, of it. You have to get law well, enforcement involved. <laughs> so like, yeah, like. Some of some of it's like been drunk, drunken belligerence and like that's like whatever. But then there's also levels of like 
assault, um, supposedly assault, starting cults. cults. Um, yeah, like, kidnapping, grooming underage people. Like, there's a lot of levels to this that are just, like, appalling, like, horrible stuff. And I don't know what kind of apology he could give that would justify all this. And it really sucks because I do feel like he's ruining this movie for everyone, you know? And I, I don't really... I'm kind of drawing a blank because I don't know how you, I don't know how you amend the situation. Um, I almost feel like recasting and just reshooting all of his scenes or making some kind of edit would probably be the best choice, but it would cost the studio a lot of money. It would, it would really like, we would probably get a cut of the movie that's not as good as the original cut and it's uh it's really hard to say but i just feel like so much of what he's done is just there's there's like no it's <laughs> like no way around it you know what i mean yeah. i don't know what are your thoughts here's the thing you're saying everything that i was thinking yeah so like you and i are in complete agreement so i don't really have a lot to add to this however i will say that i honestly as much as i want to see the movie Part of me want is leans towards the just scrap it. Um, right. It gets if it if Ezra Miller just gets crazier and crazier and the reports just get more bizarre and it becomes and actually becomes a liability issue. And they're concerned about the performance of the movie because people are going to be like, no, this is a whack job. I'm not going to see the movie. Just scrap it because you're already at a point where you're saying you want to you have a 10 year plan that you want to build towards something. And maybe the best thing to do is just scrap it. And I I think I it depends on War like Warner Brothers plan for the DCEU. If this movie is like super contingent on the direction they're going and they have to release it, I feel like the best thing they could do is recast the Flash and do reshoots because then at least they could or I feel like that's a way to disavow his behavior as opposed or, to just pretending it didn't happen and just releasing the movie. I'm anyways. pretty sure he's already been paid for it unless he gets a cut of the box office, which I think if he does, then that might be what they're trying to avoid. I really honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's also a way of saying like moving forward, we're not going to continue employing this guy and we don't want him to, we don't want even his likeness to be an important part of our universe moving forward. Like I feel like, I don't know all the ins and outs like, yes, you're right. I think he's already been paid for the film and stuff, but I feel like it's a way to put a stop on uh, really representing Ezra Miller moving forward, you know? Sure. Well, we'll see how the flash plays out. Um, but one of the things that made me excited, um, which a little bit of hesitation is that, um, they want a Kevin Feige figure over a DC, someone to kind of look over the universe and be their Kevin Feige on that side of the pond. I'll do uh, it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know I'll do it too. Um, but, um, one of the people on the short list is Greg Berlanti. Um, oh, nice. Greg Berlanti, if you don't know, is the guy who is in completely in charge of the Arrowverse over at the CW. He knows his stuff. He proved that he knows his stuff and he did it on a small budget. So let's show him, let's show what he knows on a big budget and give him the reins. And I say, I'm all for that. My hesitation is, is Greg Berlanti burned out on the capes. Right. I mean, that's 10 years with the, that's eight years with arrow. 
10 years on Flash, six on Supergirl, um, Legends of like seven years on Legend of Tomorrow. I mean, yeah, they all happen at the same time, but think about how many he did all together, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'd like to hope, I mean, he, I think he'd be a great candidate, but as he burned out on the capes and does he need a break from the superheroes? True. So, but that's, if, if he's on the short list, um, it has high hopes because that means they're looking for, they're basically looking for their Kevin Feige slash Dave Filoni, you know? And, uh, that's, probably the way to go just because you can say marvel showed us like the marvel method if you will uh, meaning how like the model that they're using to put their movies and stuff together um that seems like a good idea it seems like a good model have one person be your go-to guy it, it works and marvel showed it works so who's our kevin feige over here you know or or they could do like let's say greg berlanti says no there's another option they have that people have been saying for years. Just get like Paul Dini and Bruce Tim to be your Kevin Feige. Yeah. <laughs> have them yeah right. Do the magic that they did with the Batman animated series and all those DC animated shows and bring that to live action. Like those are the people for the job, you know, why, why not? You know? Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, that kind of brings us to the end of the news, man. You want to talk about the list tonight? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, man. Well, I feel it, like we ended on such a downer. I know, but it's like it's like just put the DC stuff at the end. We'll talk about it. We don't have a lot and we don't have a lot to report other than this is the little bits here that are dropping. Yeah. We feel really weird about the flash. We'll see how that pans out. And that's kind of the end of the conversation. If you think about it, you know. Absolutely. Um, so. <laughs> Let's talk about the list. Let's move on and talk about some nerdy stuff or some not so nerdy stuff and um, roll the thing. And now for the top five. Peter, why yes. don't you explain the list to everybody? <laughs> so. Uh, and we'll talk about how I did it super wrong. <laughs> I don't know if you could do this one wrong. This was my own list, and I feel like I did it wrong. So <laughs> a lot of times I'll think of a Good. list, and it'll be like, I'll pick a topic and like, oh, I really want to talk about this. And then we'll I'll do a list based around it. Or I'll think of something where like I already know two or three items that will be on my list. So it'll be really easy to put my list together. And this was more of one that I came across online as just kind of a nerdy discussion topic, and it made me laugh. But it was one of those things that I had no idea what I was going to even talk about. And that is our top five nerdy things that will probably never be popular or mainstream or however you want to phrase it. But it's basically... We live in a world where comic books, comic book movies, at this point, even anime is pretty mainstream, which I never thought would have ha would have That's, happened. But what you're saying right now is why this was so incredibly <laughs> difficult. Every time I thought of something, I'm like, no, I go to Comic-Con. I see how big that is. That's you know true. I mean? Like I can't like there is massive fan bases for everything out there that you think is not nerdy. So that's true. I guess the way I thought of it is I was really trying to think of um, household name sort of things, you know, like if you go to somebody's 
a random person's living room and ask their mom or their grandma. You know, a lot of people know who like characters like Thor are or, uh, you know, just different comic book characters that like 20 years ago, nobody would even have any clue who they are. But um, there's certain things that I feel like still haven't reached that household name. And a lot of things that I feel like might never reach that that level. And that's kind of what I was thinking of. And again, this is a challenging list, but it made me laugh. And I thought, why not do it? Um, I don't have any honorable mentions this week because this list was a challenge. And uh, the other thing. I have oh, keep one. Okay. And the realm the of being a challenge, I have one. So Nice. The other thing I'll say is a lot of my picks ended up being things that were once really popular, but aren't anymore and probably won't be moving forward. Um, oh, okay. But they still have their niche nerdy audience. So that's just something that I kept running into when putting my list together. But I don't know, Drew, did you want to just jump in or do you have any thoughts yeah. in well, general? general about this you know, list I, like i said this is my thoughts on this are so messed up so I just, <laughs> we're just gonna roll with it um all right so my honorable mention i gotta do my honorable mention and my first pick right away because this is your list so i gotta go first regardless um my honorable mention is an honorable mention only because this is a thing that has a massive massive fan base but i feel like in certain circles it's like shunned and pushed under the carpet. Okay. And then in certain circles, it's like, no, it's the greatest thing on the face of the planet and everybody needs to be doing it. And I'm referring to Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. The reason I say this is because it is in, to get in, to get in, to be accepted at the table, you kind of need someone to show you the way. Oh, that's it, good, yeah, that's it, an interesting. Like it's it's kind of like if you're the guy that wants to play Dungeons and Dragons, you're most likely going to be the dungeon master for your group. But that means you're the one who has to do all the research and learn <laughs> how it works. Yeah. And some of the best ways to learn how it works is to find someone to show you. But Dungeons and Dragons is such a niche um thing in my opinion that it almost creates it almost has this like kind of an underground cult thing to it where you need to have yeah. someone show you the doorway to get in. You know what I mean? You have to find a dungeon master to teach you the ropes so then you can go and do your <laughs> own thing. You have to have someone show you the way. Notice me, senpai. Notice me. And, yeah, and that's that, awesome. that is why I say, and it's it's only, it's honorable mention because of the massive resurgence right now and the level of popularity. But, I do feel like it has this, like, it still has a secret club kind of vibe to it. <laughs> no, you know, I have, um, I, I have a COVID mask that I had a Dungeons and Dragons, the ampersand logo put on the mask. Right. Nice. And I was wearing it and I work, um, I work at a ski hill during the winter time just for extra cash kind of thing. And I, and during COVID when we were allowed to be open, but had to still wear masks, I was wearing it. And I was talking to one of the employees. We were just having a little conversation while it was kind of slow. And these kids who had just got done skiing came walking up. And they're like, dude, what's your class? That was how they started the conversation. Nice. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm the forever DM. And they're just like, oh, man, that's so cool. And then we just started talking. But it was all game talk. And then the conversation ended. And the kids wandered off like, good talking, man. And they left. And 
the coworker next to me looked at me and goes, what was that? Like, he had <laughs> no idea yeah. what we were talking about, where that conversation was going. He was totally, like, listening and focused, but he had no clue. So, like I said, as much as a popular thing it is, I feel like there's a little bit of a niche, culty, underground movement to it where you got to have someone show you in, the way in. And that's why it's on the list, but it's honorable mention only because of the massive resurgence. So, I... Yeah, but I think you're right, because I played with putting Dungeons and Dragons on my list. But the thing was that this Dungeons and Dragons is seeing a huge resurgence, especially with the popularity of like podcasts and stuff. It is something that is getting incredible popularity and it's become way more popular than I ever thought it was like growing up for me. The only time I was exposed to Dungeons and Dragons was honestly in Boy Scouts when we would gather in like dark tents and play it by flashlight. And uh, usually I wasn't even nerdy enough to join those kids. <laughs> like there was only a couple sessions I played like that, but I never thought it would be like as mainstream and as accepted as it is. But I think you're right in that the barrier to entry to play D and D is so big because of how much you have to read and uh, yeah, just the reading and buying books <laughs> and learning the system and creating your character. It's a huge barrier of, barrier of entry and it's totally worth it once you actually play. It can be like some of the greatest times just playing Dungeons and Dragons. But I do think you're right because of that barrier to entry. So, yeah, that's it's just you got to have like it's just that secret world that someone needs to show you the way in. And that's. Uh, that's something I think makes it really cool, aside from the fact that it's already cool. You know? Absolutely. Um, all right, man. So my first pick of the night, um, bizarrely, is another game, and that is uh, chess. Um, okay. Chess has a massive popularity. Chess is considered a sport. It's not necessarily considered a game. It's actually uh, it's a board game that's actually considered a sport and treated as such. The reason I put this on the list is because... I am baffled by the amount of people who don't know how to play the game. <laughs> um, True. <laughs> like completely baffled by the sheer amount of people that have no clue how the game works, functions, whatever the case may be. I'm a big fan of the game. I think I am a middle ground player. I've never played a tournament, but in terms of my skill, um, I think I'm like that middle range player that can really hold his own if I needed to. Um, but I just felt that, you know, when it comes to like and, you know, when you look at shows like Queen's Gambit, for example, that drew chess popularity really big for a little bit, like a big resurgence of everyone like, oh, I want to learn how to play chess or I want to play chess. Yeah. Died down pretty quick. Um, the chess community is huge, but it's I feel like it's a niche population um, that focuses in that area. I follow a bunch of chess stuff online, like on my Twitter feed, my Instagram feed and stuff. And it's kind of cool to look at some stuff. Like sometimes it'll be an actual like end of a game. And like, you can try and figure like here, figure out how this played out kind of thing, or it'll just be news about world champions and stuff like that. But, um, it just blows my mind that how many people don't know how to play it, which made me yeah. think of, did you ever see the movie Bobby? Um, is I haven't. Is this about Bobby Fischer, though? <laughs> no, it's, no, it's actually about Bobby Kennedy. Uh, it's, okay. about, it's about the assassination of Bobby Kennedy and everything leading up to the event of the actual assassination. So it's like because he got assassinated in a hotel and mm -hmm. the hotel um, and everything going on in the hotel preparing for his arrival during the presidential campaign and all that stuff. Um, 
there's a scene uh, where a couple guys are playing chess early on in the movie, and he says, uh, Anthony Hopkins says, life is a lot like chess. It's scary, it's difficult, and that's why they invented checkers. And that, <laughs> <laughs> and that line made me laugh so hard when I watched it, but it's kind of true. But it's like some people I know just don't know how to play chess. So it just blows my mind a little bit. That's the only reason it's on my list. It seems weird that it's on my list for something like this, but that's why. So like I said, I did this whole list wrong, so it's all good. No, I think everything you said is correct. Um, I didn't put chess on my list because um, because of Queen's Gambit, because it did see a big resurgence. But you're right. Like, I don't hear a lot of people talk about Queen's Gambit a lot at the moment. Like when it was coming out, everybody was yeah. freaking out. But yeah, you're right. I think uh, chess saw like a short little heyday there and now it's kind of gone back into the shadows. But um, no, I think everything you've said is correct. And uh, it's weird that so many people don't know how to play because I'm like, I mean, you have to re- uh, remember like nine pieces and what they can do. Like it's pretty easy to learn the rules, but it's uh, I think <laughs> I like chess I said is that nine pieces. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like chess is one of those uh, games that like, I don't know. I remember watching a documentary about um, video games and like kind of the development of video games through the years. And uh, those first sort of like the first like big arcade game boom um, where where you had games like Pac-Man and Asteroids and Joust and whatnot. Like everybody knows these games, of course. But one of the uh, game creators from back then said they found that the most successful games are games that are easy to play, but hard to master. <laughs> no, but easy to play and hard to master. And I feel like chess <laughs> is that way. Like it's easy to learn the rules, but mastering it could take a lifetime. And I think that's kind of the genius of the game. But like I said, I don't think the rules are that hard. So it's really surprising that that many people don't know how to play. But um, I think because of that, it definitely has its place on this list. So good call. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, what's your first okay. pick? Because I have a feeling you and I didn't match at all. So. Probably not. So my first couple picks I know are going to make you laugh, Drew, um, especially this first one. But I went with rollerblading. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about something that had a huge heyday, especially in the 90s, and yeah. is kind of kind wow. of not that popular anymore. Like it did see a bit of a resurgence during I, COVID because what were you going to say? I was going to say I see people going out here and there, but yeah. Um, yeah. During COVID, when everybody was locked in their house and didn't have anything to do, there was a bit of a rollerblading resurgence, but I feel like that's kind of died down. But I think when you look at extreme, what's that? It's just funny. Go ahead. (laughs) When you look at like extreme sports, because I was like super into um, like aggressive inline skating, like doing tricks and grinds and stuff like that. Like it's kind of weird. And I've never talked about this on the podcast, but that sort of mentality is baked into my blood for some reason. Like I haven't rollerbladed like seriously in a long time, but I still think about doing tricks and grinds everywhere I go. Like every bit of infrastructure, I'm always like, Oh, you could totally grind on that rail over there, you know? And I think about doing tricks in my head, even though I'm not actively skating nowadays, but when it comes to extreme sports, like I feel like skateboarding, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you had like the Tony Hawk games. And I think that those games like brought skateboarding to this level of collective um, acceptance that I don't think rollerblading ever made it to 
besides like during the early 90s, like rollerblading got really popular. But I don't think it ever got as big as skateboarding and ever had that skate uh, staying power. So that's why I went with this pick, because I do love the sport. Um, I follow a bunch of rollerbladers on Instagram. It's always really cool to watch, but it's one of those things that never really made it as big as I think it should have. And uh, the reason why this pick is funny is because I don't necessarily think of rollerblading as a nerdy thing to do but everybody else does. <laughs> I, I hear it as like used in so many insults. Like, what are you, some loser just like rollerblading around? It's, like rollerblading has like this weird, like funny stigma to it, even though I don't think of it as nerdy. I think a lot of other people do. And that's why I think it has its, its place on this list. So, uh, yes, I totally agree that it has that weird stigmatism. <laughs> <laughs> But even like with movies like uh, Airborne, where they were like made it like really cool and like the race yeah. and stuff like that. And then like the movie's really not that good and the, the whole idea is silly and whatnot. But I mean, I really enjoyed playing like street hockey and stuff like that. And whatnot, right on. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I hear you. Uh, I did not <laughs> expect you to say rollerblading. But that's... <laughs> yeah, um, I was hoping you'd get a kick out of that one. So. Yeah. All right. So mine is another game thing. I'm referring to uh, card gaming. I'm not talking about poker and blackjack. I'm talking about like magic and Pokemon and those kind of things. Yes. Um, for a really long time, there was a ton of games. There was like a card gaming boom for a little while in the early 2000s, uh, yeah. like late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I got really, really big involved in the Star Wars customizable card game from the Cypher, like big time involved. Like I was a tournament director. I became a rep for the company, um, like demoed product when I ran and helped hosted a lot of tournaments. I hosted one of the world's tournaments here in Chicago. Um, like I got really, really good at it, like competed on like high levels. It was, it's a really good, it was, it was one of the, it's probably one of my favorite games of all time. Um, I still have all my cards. If any of, uh, my, you know, former, uh, the guys I used to play with, if you're listening, let's play some Star Wars. Um, but I feel like <laughs> it's really trickled down because there was Star Wars, there was Battletech, there was Seven Seas, there was um, uh, Legends of the Five Rings, there was uh, Magi Nation, there was... Uh, uh, man, there was this little it. game called Magic the Gathering. That well, I was, getting, I was getting to that. There was Magic okay. the Gathering and Pokemon. And for yes. the longest time, there was a, uh, there was a magazine called Scry. Remember kids when we had magazines? Um, there was a magazine called Scry um, that was all about just, it was just card gaming news. And they had like that top 10, like one of the most popular card games. And every month it was either Pokemon, Magic, or the Star Wars customizable card yeah. game. The three of them constantly rotated, like every month. One of them was more popular than the next and so on. Every, it was always, it like traded off every month. And um, now... It's Magic and Pokemon. Pokemon, I don't know anyone who actually knows how the game is played. I think people just collect the cards. I think you're right. And Magic still holds as a game where people are actually playing. Um, so I just think it's really interesting that there was this massive boom for a little while. And then it like went away. And it's for the most part stayed away because no one can topple the Magic Juggernaut. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Think you're right. So, um, 
And the only reason I didn't jump onto Magic the way I did with Star Wars is Magic, I never really liked the mechanics of the game itself. Um, yes, I'm a big Star Wars fan, so that was part of the draw, but if you take the Star Wars part of the equation away and you just look at the mechanics of the game, it didn't feel like I was playing a card game ever. It felt really like... It felt like board game and tactical strategy, like chess. It was awesome. I loved it. Uh, and it just felt unique. Uh, magic, to me, just doesn't feel that way. That's why I didn't really stick with it. I did play, but yeah. So card gaming is my reasoning for this one. So I think this is a great pick. I didn't think of this one, but uh, no, I think this is a great uh, pick for your list. I think um, I think you're right that not a lot of people still play Pokemon, but everybody loves collecting the cards for whatever reason. Um, and I think like magic is this massive juggernaut, um, that's going to always just be on the top of the collectible card gaming, um, list, I guess. Um, a lot of the people who I know who kind of were really into Pokemon actually prefer playing, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh at this point, but, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a but very... they know how to play the game where I don't think, I don't think half the people who collect Pokemon cards have any clue how the game works. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the... Yeah, <laughs> I, I tried the power reading, of Pokemon for some reason. I tried so. reading the rules because, you know, my kid was like, oh, Pokemon. <laughs> so I was like, sweet, I'm going to buy a deck for you. I'm going to buy a deck for me. And we're going to figure this out. And then he had no yeah. idea. So I just stopped reading. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, um, but another this also goes with uh, D&D because there is a barrier to entry. But I feel like for this topic, it's almost more of a financial barrier to entry. Like you have to buy a lot of cards to be able to make a good deck and all that where um, I feel like D and D, if you have some friends who are really into it, you can borrow their player's handbook and like some of their reading material and read through it. And then you could pretty easily be good to go to play right. D and D well, for like that. a very limited budget. You know what I mean? Right. And with Dungeons and Dragons, if you're going to be the DM, you kind of got to buy some books and do. Some yeah, reading. definitely. When I say books, plural, do some reading. If you get really into it, if you try a couple games, you're like, I'm definitely getting in as a player. You really only need to get one book and you're done, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, and that's like on the, that's on a basic level too. So, but D&D &D at the same time, there's some people who are buying these weird, like touchscreen sort of coffee tables with like digital maps on them, <laughs> stuff like that. Like some people are, are putting thousands of dollars into it, but most people, yep don't have to spend that much to play D and D is what we're saying. So, um, I guess I could move into my next, uh, pick. Yep. Yep. Okay. So this is my only other weird one. And then, uh, the rest of my list kind of has a pretty similar vibe, but, uh, I went with this one might make you laugh through or make you roll your eyes, but I actually went with thrifting, like, uh, shopping at thrift stores and finding random knickknacks and stuff like that. And uh, this is something that I feel like recently has seen a boom on TikTok, actually. Like, a lot of TikTok people are making videos about crazy things they find at thrift stores and stuff like that. But there's this weird thing where I there was, like, some sort of, like, thrift convention that I saw people talking about online where it was, like, everybody going to this huge, like, convention hall to buy, like, used clothes and other random stuff from different booths. But... I guess this convention was selling things for like super, super expensive, you know, where people were buying like designer clothes and old like sports jerseys that were worth like tons of money. And it kind of like 
defeats the purpose of going out and finding like random treasures for cheap. But uh, no, I think thrifting is something that I got like super into um, within the last, I don't know, five, 10 years. Like I really love going to thrift shops and garage sales and just finding random stuff. A lot of it would be like reading material. Um, my DVD collection has exponentially um, expanded ever since I've gotten into like thrifting and just, uh, I don't know, it's just fun to go out and buy random stuff and not pay a ton for it. But I do feel like one of the biggest reasons this makes my list is because I do feel like there is a uh, bit of a stigma about like going to Goodwill and stuff like that. Like I've talked to some friends about it and uh, like one of my friends said he would never go to Goodwill because he feels like that's what like quote unquote like poor people do and stuff. And I think there is like a stigma to it, which is why it'll never be like a big like mainstream thing, even though it has seen a bit of a uh, rise on TikTok, if that makes sense. But sure. it's something I really love. I think it is super nerdy. Like when I was in high school, it was all the weird nerdy artsy like indie kids who are into this sort of thing and i think it is kind of a nerdy niche niche thing that i don't know if it'll ever be like considered mainstream mainstream if that makes sense so yeah no i hear you and i didn't uh yeah i don't know if i would have thought about this and nor that i didn't know you were into that so <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 for sure um yeah i don't talk about it a lot but uh it's actually my wife and i are like got super into it for a while and we still get into it when we get the chance so um yeah i had i just had no idea <laughs> that's right on um all right so my next one is going to be a short one you're going to laugh that it's even on my list but i have a nice. reason and i'm referring to reading comic books Beautiful. Um, i don't think enough people do that um and i only say this because with the MCU the way it is, the DC film, whatever, I get into so many conversations with people. And it doesn't take long, but you realize real quick that they don't read comics. And they only have the movie knowledge along with them, and they just don't. It's like, it's weird. It's like there was a comic boom in the early 90s um, that I, you know, that's where I. Like, I was reading comics before that, but that's where I really fell in love with them. Um, and then I feel like there was a comic boom again uh, when these movies started hitting. And then um, the comic industry has, like, only grown. Um, it's, like, the only – it's, one, like, one of the only print things that's, like, still growing in popularity. Yeah. Um, but I just I, – I run into so many people who just don't read comics. And I get into, like – you'll be, like, in, like, a conversation – about like the films or whatever, and you start talking on this level of knowledge that they don't have. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, don't you read? Like, oh, you don't read the comics? Okay, interesting. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's just how it is. It's weird. Um, so I just think people need to read comics more, so we can all have more of an informed conversation because that's what happens in this world is you end up talking about comic book movies <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, this. This is a vague pick, but I think it's really great. And um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I didn't know if you had no, to say. Look, it's um, a vague pick, and the whole thing's weird because I did the whole list wrong anyway. So, um, no, I, th <laughs> I think you've done this as good as you could have. Like, this is a weird list, and I don't think you've done anything wrong so far. So, um, um, yeah, I just think I just think in a world where with all these movies and stuff, I'm just surprised more people don't. And I understand like, but then again, I don't think people read enough in general anyway. So, 
So we've talked about this before, but what's funny with this topic is I've had a number of people tell me that they don't read comics because they don't know how to. And I always think that's funny because I always think like, well, have you tried? And like, in my opinion, good comic book storytelling is something that's intuitive. Like you look at a page and you know, your eye leads you to the right panels in the right order. Like it's not something you have to think about. You just read it, <laughs> you know, to right, top to bottom, left to right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but all it's, for any headaches, might all for any cramps. Yeah, but it also reminds me of like <laughs> I feel like my generation. That was from is, boy, by the way. <laughs> Beautiful. I I was like my mind was somewhere else, but that was an awesome reference to throw in there. But uh, <laughs> no, I feel like I'm one of I'm like my generation is probably the last one that grew up and uh, would, you know, borrow the Sunday newspaper from my parents and would read through the funny strips in the newspaper. Like, that's something that everybody my age did. Like, oh, like, maybe I want to read the sports section and then I'll go straight to comics. Like, I don't care about anything else in the newspaper. But the newspaper was this sort of like family piece of uh, infrastructure that everybody passed around and read the parts that they liked. But for the kids, it was always all about the comics. And that's just something that growing up doing that, you have that sort of uh, artistic, like mental vocabulary instilled in you where you can pick up a comic book as an adult and know exactly how to read it. And I feel like there's probably a lot of people who don't get that nowadays like there's a lot of people online who are reading web comics and who are reading manga and stuff and that's awesome because i want this uh art form to live on forever and i think it really will but i think you're right a lot of people don't appreciate and read comics and i think unfortunately there's a lot of people who don't know how which i think is both funny but also kind of sad in a lot of ways <laughs> so yeah anyway um Okay. Um, even though comics are mainstream, I feel like they're not as mainstream as they should be. Um, right on. And what's your next one? So I'm going to change my, my order. My next two are really, really good, but go ahead. Okay. I'm going to change my order because of because you just talked about comics. I'm going to keep talking about comics. And this is a specific style of comic that I'm super into that had a huge heyday, and I feel like it's not super popular at the moment, unfortunately. But I went with... Uh, the 90s image style of comic books. Um, so we're talking about like early yeah. 90s and we're talking about like Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Rob, uh, uh, Rob Liefeld, like all these like really larger than life artists who back in the early 90s broke away from Marvel, Marvel and created image comics. But there was a specific, really bombastic, over the top style that these artists used where all the characters were like, super big like muscular juggernauts there was really exaggerated it like the artwork kind of like the way 90, they would draw 90s was... x-force is the perfect example of what you're talking about <laughs> um, yes yes definitely um well well go go ahead because i've got more to say no no go this. ahead continue i was just saying 90s x-force is a perfect no, example cable, no, abs- cable okay. and bishop and <laughs> Yeah, and it, it was wow. one of those things where the characters were drawn as if they were trying to pass it off as, as realistic, but when you yeah. actually looked at the characters' proportions and stuff, nothing was realistic. Like, we're talking about people's thighs that were, like, four or five times as big as their heads and stuff, and, like, everybody just looked macho and, like, crazy, but then you also get into the actual storytelling and the panel work where there was characters 
leaping off of panels and characters breaking panels all over the place and really, really creative um, page layouts. Like if you go back to Todd McFarlane's uh, Spider-Man work or his early Spawn work, like he had some really, really creative, cool page layouts in there where he did really interesting things with like half of the page would be like the silhouette of a character's face. And then there'd be a bunch of panels on the other half of the page that were laid out in an interesting way. Or like in his Spider-Man comics, he would have like Spider-Man's webbing would actually make different comic panel shapes and stuff. And I think as clunky and as silly as some of the old nineties image comics were, I think there was a lot of really interesting things they did when it comes to experimentation with the comic medium. Like I think they really tried to push the limits on what you can do with just a page and pen work and line work and color and letters. Like they really, really were experimenting. And like I said, some of it's clunky. Some of it is kind of silly or dumb, but I think they were trying to push the medium. And unfortunately, like a lot of current comics, I feel like don't push the medium in the same way. And I feel like maybe some of the choices they made weren't as sophisticated, but I do think there was a level of experimentation that was going on in the early nineties that kind of did carry on in a certain way, like throughout the late nineties and into the early two thousands. But I feel like a lot of comic artists really are pretty straight laced nowadays. And I kind of wish that that sort of nineties image comic spirit was still living on in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Um, no, I totally hear you. And I've had a lot of fun. Like I used the, I, I, subscribe to both the Marvel and the DC uh, apps for my like phone so I can read comics like out and about. Um, and I've been reading a lot of, I've been digging into a lot of nineties Marvel right now. And I've yeah. been like doing nineties um, uh, uh, justice league right now on the DC side. But um, cause I've read so much nineties Batman and nineties Superman that, I'm yeah. like, you know, so looking more at the team books, but no, I totally hear you. And it's awesome. So I've had, I've been having a lot of fun doing it too. So nice. And this is, this is one of those things where it's like, this is the nineties, like image comics are kind of like some of my favorite just comic books in general. So that's kind of why I just glom onto that style so much, but I wish it was still like, there's some artists there's, Every once in a while, you'll see an artist kind of still working in that style. But for the most part, everybody's moved on. And I'm kind of like, well, I wish we went back to this cool stuff going, back, going on back then a little bit. So that's yeah. my next pick. So, All right. So my next pick um, falls in the video game category. There was a manga attached to it. Um, I don't know how long the manga ran. Um, but I'm referring to something, uh, it's kind of a, it's one of those really cool crosses between Disney properties and Final Fantasy, and that is Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) Nice. Um, This, I fell in love with this in terms of, this is someone, so the Final Fantasy video games is basically, like, they're really, really rich storytelling, really compelling characters, um, and I've always been a fan of that franchise. And then someone had this idea to say, what if we took characters from the Final Fantasy world and put them in the universe of Disney, like Disney films? So like Sleeping Beauty and Alice in Wonderland and, you know, Winnie the Pooh and Pinocchio and all this stuff. And you think to yourself, I don't know how that works. 
And then you play the video game, and the story is so compelling. Now, I know there's a big Kingdom Hearts fan base out there, but I feel like it's a very quiet fan base. And it you you'll you'll it'll come up at Comic Con or something, but for the most part, it's quiet. Um, it's right. I feel like it's a very small fan base. Um, I am completely baffled that this is not a Disney Plus show at this point. Like right. I just do not understand why it's not. Even if it's an animated Disney Plus show, I do not get why it's not a thing. This should totally be like this big, massive franchise thing that they should be tapping into, and I just feel like they're not. I feel like they're wasting. I don't. It could be a contract copyright nonsense with you know Square Enix having controlling um, interest over the Final Fantasy characters and Disney having controlling interest over their characters, but they partnered for the game for eleven games total. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say there's eleven video games total, and then there's like I said, there's a manga attached to this. They partnered for it. Why don't they just? I mean, I think I think it's a no brainer, and I think it'd be amazing. Um, I went to Disney recently because of the Star Wars park. But the last time I was at Disney was 16 years ago. And I remember when I was there, I was in one of the gift shops and there was a lady who asked me if I was looking for something specific because I made a comment like, man, I just I'm surprised I can't find this. And she was like, what are you looking for? And I'm like, I'm looking for something Kingdom Hearts, like a T-shirt or a keychain or something. And she's like, what's Kingdom Hearts? (laughs) And I'm like, you work here? (laughs) Wow. You know, like you work here and you don't know what I'm talking about. And eventually, like she goes, "Well, we have the game." Like they had the PlayStation game. I'm like, "Yeah, okay. I, have, I have the PlayStation." <laughs> um, I, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like a Keyblade keychain or something like that. Like that'd be yeah. awesome. Um, but I just think it's interesting that this is a franchise. Yes, it has a fan base, but I don't think it's as big as it could be. And I think it's an untapped franchise. So. I th- I think you're right because yeah. I think I think this is definitely a case of something that did have a really big heyday a while back but isn't as big anymore. You know what I mean? But well, I do think the third, the third game came out a couple of years ago and it was amazing and it was huge in terms of like the gamer community right when it came out and then it just yeah. died quick. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But I I think that um I don't know in a world of Disney just killing it with like their success with the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies and TV shows. And in a world of multiverses, like everybody's trying to do their multiverse (laughs) cinematic universe at this point, Kingdom Hearts is a shoe in like, why aren't you doing anything with this, uh, with this property? And I think, I think this is definitely a good call. And I think this is one where Disney, I think you got to do, you got to do a Kingdom Hearts movie or show. Why not? And then you also just have to, you got to do the live action gargoyles movie. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, while you're at it, that get in on there, it. But <laughs> you got to bring, you got to do something with gargoyles. It's too awesome yeah. to ignore. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, man, what's your next one tonight? Yeah. So my next one's kind of weird, down but, final um, pick, so uh, I've got two left. Oh, I know we're down to the okay. final stretch. So, okay. I gotcha. So my next one, um, this actually goes with, uh, kind of pretty close to our list last week, but I went with just in general, like mate, uh, like practical makeup, special effects in movies when it comes to creature design and, uh, horror movies and like gore scenes and stuff like that. And I think the reason why I picked this is because this is something that 
was huge in like the 80s and the 90s. And I feel like before CGI was what it is today, like I feel like this is something people thought about a lot when it comes to making movies. And you go back to the original Aliens and Predator movies, as well as like all the awesome, fun, gory uh, 80s horror movies. And I feel like makeup special effects had such a presence. But in a weird way, I feel like when I talk to people nowadays, it's kind of in a weird way taken a back seat. And even though we had shows like we had like the show Face Off that was such a big hit for a while. But I feel like when you do look at like mainstream movies, like when you look at the Marvel movies, for example, I feel like there's a lot of characters that I see in those movies. And I might have said this last week, but there's so many characters that I feel like you could do with makeup and practical effects but they always just choose to go CGI with it. And I know there's budgetary reasons for that probably and logistics and stuff, but sometimes I think a really, really good makeup job can actually outweigh a CG character. And I think you can go back to a movie like Prometheus, like the very first scene of Prometheus. Um, I can't remember what they called the, uh, the alien they show that they called called, like they're called engineers engineers i was thinking creators and i was like that's not it but yeah when they show the engineer character at the very beginning of prometheus if you watch it that was all just makeup and practical effects but he looks amazing and believable and stuff and i wish that people would i wish i wish it was more like like like, prometheus when the guy got infected yeah and he was like kind of like mutating i guess inside his space helmet that was all practical it looked gorgeous absolutely and and that's that's what i wish is i wish there was more of a tandem between cgi and practical kind of like how we talked about this last week but how uh star wars has been handling things and i kind of wish that that was just industry-wide accepted but also just fandom fandom wide accepted because i see so many people online who just seem to want everything to be done cgi and i'm just thinking like there's other ways to do certain characters you know and that's just kind of that's kind of my thing is i wish that the passion and the demand for you know just your classic makeup special effects was kind of where it used to be you know what i mean yeah no i hear you that's actually a good call um and yeah and then you go see thor love and thunder and the whole movie like almost we're talking like 98% of that movie is CGI. So, yeah. um, and like, if you, if you know how to like, if you know how to pay attention, like if you know what a CGI character looks like versus a practical effects character, like some of it's really good. Um, I love the, there's an interview, uh, John Favreau is, talks in uh, the ILM documentary on Disney plus about how, when he was doing um, notes for the, when they were doing, going over the dailies for Iron Man, <laughs> He was giving notes on the way the suit looked in the movie, and they were saying, uh, that's the real suit. And he's like, <laughs> what do you mean? he's like, you're giving notes on the real suit, um, not the not the CGI suit. That's like he could like there was a point where he couldn't see it anymore and he could only see the CG. And that's some. And if it's done that well, then, yes, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so well, I think um I don't know. I'm also thinking back on um, I remember uh, when Captain Marvel came out and I feel like all the Skrull characters in there, they used like real makeup and stuff for those characters, which was awesome. But at this point, I don't know, like when the uh, Secret Invasion show comes out, are they going to be 
I feel like they're just going to use CGI for those characters, just kind of basing it on the direction the MCU has been for a while now. So, yeah. Um, all right. You ready for my final pick? It's going to make you laugh. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> I put this on the list for a couple reasons. One, specifically to make you laugh. Two, um, I'm surprised this didn't get franchised out, at least with a television show or a cartoon or something. Uh, because I feel like it was a toy line that was just a toy line and disappeared. Um, this is a toy line by Galoob, who also made Micro Machines. Um, oh, I know where you're going. <laughs> and um, they are little robot action figures called Z-Bots. <laughs> yes, Z-Bots. <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, no, these totally like disappeared. But I mean, and you know what? In the realm of our... Uh, childhood uh backstory to the podcast um i still don't know where the z-bots are we had a lot i still don't know um what what made me laugh about this is i did some digging okay like i said they were made by galoob which made uh the um micro machines micro machines they were made in 1992 1994 um and they had aside from the little robot action figures that they were i mean essentially they looked like transformers that couldn't transform they were robots yeah and um they did have some vehicles and some larger robots and whatnot that got released but backstory the original story behind zbots was that they were invented in 2025 Ooh, we're getting close by a group of scientists to protect the world from evil However, almost 60 years later, a group of rival scientists stole the technology and built rival machines. The current war, according to the description, is taking place in the 22nd century. Um, the later Vortex HQ and the Fang fighter playsets developed it further by giving the scientists who created the Z-Bots a name and making, computer, and making a computer virus the real reason the voids existed, making them robots who used to be Z-Bots but had their current uh, circulatory circuitry corrupted. Um, and then I could read on if you really want, but <laughs> I'm like, why is this not a cartoon? Well, I, th I think <laughs> why I was think this never it, like a thing? <laughs> what it actually is, is a uh, self-sustaining -sustain uh, nuclear fusion is what Absolutely. Uh, fueled the Z-Bots revolution. But uh, <laughs> no, I think uh, this is a hilarious pick. Z-Bots was such a short-lived, like, it's such a short-lived um, toy line, but our it family, was. like, really, really dug it. And I think it was, like, the size of the toys was super appealing to me, like, because they were all, like, you'd buy a pack of Z-Bots, and I think you'd get three characters at once for a pretty you cheap would. price. And they were really small. I remember that, because when I Googled, they showed pictures of the packaging and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was looking at, I was looking at a bunch of stuff, and I saw several articles that was like, who remembers Z-Bots? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, anyway. absolutely. But oh, keep going. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's just like they were they all looked awesome. Like they were like these little mini mechs and they were like, you know, just a little bit bigger than micro machines or like a little bit smaller than your bucket of uh, green army guys. You know, they were like that really tiny action figure size. Yeah, but I thought they were two inches tall, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but they were really cool. And I think, uh, Drew, I remember you and Scott had. um you guys had uh, a lot of muscle men from back in the day, which was like a similar sized toy. And those guys always looked really cool. And the Z-Bots were like the right size to play with them. And then there was another line when I was a kid that was uh, Monsters in My Pocket, which I never had any, but I kind of really appreciated those from afar. But Monsters in My Pocket was like 
another similar size toy, but it was something about that really small, like, you know, they were only like an inch and a half tall, I feel like, but they were just, it was just a cool size that you could just fill your pocket with a bunch of action figures and you have something to play with for the long car ride to grandma's house or whatever it is. And uh, I don't know, Z-Bots were really cool and that's a really funny throwback, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> so yeah, um, I just don't think they reached the level of popularity to get the uh, MCU treatment, if you will. Um, but maybe they absolutely. Should. Anyway, um, yeah, so Z-Bots, final pick. What do you have for us to round the night out? My final pick is one of my Vegas picks, um, and it's one of those things that I could talk on and on about, or I could keep short, so I don't know how this is going to go, but <laughs> I just went with art nerdery, like being a nerd about art specifically, um, and that's one of those things where we talk about pop culture and comics and superheroes and stuff, but I feel like my main nerdy focus is really artistry when it comes to well, first, if we want to keep it on the comics realm, like I feel like I'll see somebody once in a while with like a Spider-Man shirt and I'll be like, hey, that's a sweet, you know, that's some sweet Joe Matarera art on your Spider-Man shirt. And nobody knows, you know, I say that and nobody knows what I'm talking about because they don't know the artist. But like I'm super into comics, like comic book from comic books from just like the art standpoint alone. And then like also just like I mean, I'm an art student, so obviously I've got a huge appreciation of art history. But I think that when it comes to just the realm of art, it's always going to have that sort of artsy, nerdy level that your mainstream, like normie type person isn't going to get that into like, you know, whatever concept artist was working on whatever movie and uh a lot of people read comic books and they don't pay attention to the artist. Some people don't even pay attention to the writer. They just care about the uh, characters and the adventures they're going on. And it's kind of one of those. Drew, I know you relate to this because I know you're really into uh, behind the scenes stuff in general. Like when it comes to the art of creating things like we're people who are into like who directed what movie and what were the makeup artists doing and like uh, even like concept artists and like poster artists and stuff. And so this is just something that I wish people were as into the art of creating things as they are into the final product a lot of times. And that's just kind of why I picked this one. But this is just like in my personal life, I've got a group of friends that are like super nerdy and I feel like I'm one of the few who's like really into the artist side of that nerd dumb. So that's kind of why I went with this. And I feel like this is always going to be something that's a little bit more behind the scenes and a little bit more niche, if that makes sense. So yeah. that's why I made my list. Yeah. Good call. This is a, this is a good pick. Like the, the way you're wording it makes it like that way. But the, I mean, that's the thing, like this list was so difficult in terms of everything <laughs> I picked short of Z bots, I think. <laughs> massive like cult following yeah that expounds beyond the cult following do you know what i mean so absolutely but i think like i said i picked this list because it made me laugh but i think it ended up being for a really good conversation that was really well-rounded like we went yeah. over a wide range of topics and uh i don't know i just got a kick out of this one so i think this was a pretty fun episode overall you yeah know? Agreed. All right. Well, you want to know what we're going to do next week? Yeah. What are we doing? All right. So I was thinking about this one. I'm surprised this one has not come up before, but um, I was thinking about fictional parents. Um, 
<laughs> nice. So um, we're going to do a list of our fictional parents. Um, and I'm specifically That's thinking, awesome. like, you know, through the realm of pop culture, it does not have to be a movie or a television show. Um, Darth Vader is probably definitely dad of the year. But my point is that that's a good example. So, yeah, fictional parents. I thought this was kind of a funny one to do, too. So I figured to make a good, another good conversation in terms of looking at um, the film, television, book, comic, whatever, from a different angle. <laughs> well, most of mine are going to be from Adam's family adaptations. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, this is a funny list. And this is like, yeah, on one end of the spectrum, you have Darth Vader, but then you can also even bring in Saturday morning cartoons. And there's just yeah. like so many different directions you can go yeah, with. So go this is a Darth fun Vader list. Jetsons, you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. It could be a wide range. Uh, it actually, like, if you really wanted to, Splinter from the Ninja Turtles could be looked at as a father figure. You know what I mean? So, Oh, good call. Uh, I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to write that one right down. Right now. Here we go. Um, no, just uh, just uh, food for thought on that one. So, okay. You ready to close this one out for the night? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, everyone, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up on our email to face uh, social media. Either way works. Um, we are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. There you can subscribe to us. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, you can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, And that's where I'll be letting you know that the Adams family is really just sort of ooky. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you all for listening. Uh, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.